Right, thanks, Mark. And uh, yeah, welcome again to Community Christian Church. Um, here's the sermon. And Jonah chapter 2. It, that's, isn't that like a crazy poem uh, that just kind of comes out of nowhere in the book? Isn't it like we've been reading narrative and then all of a sudden Jonah breaks out in this like beautiful poem. And that's exactly what Jonah chapter 2 is. It is a poem from the belly of a fish written by a rebellious prophet. And and it's, it's shocking, and I think it's meant to be. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at, at Jonah chapter 2 and what Jonah chapter 2 teaches us about uh, repentance, what Jonah chapter 2 teaches us about our need for God and what to do when we come to our lowest moments. Um, as I was studying for this sermon, I just kind of want to, this isn't really in my notes, it's just something, it's on my heart. And I think it's, it's important because I was listening to to music as I was preparing the sermon, and there's an artist that I really like, Sufjan Stevens, and um, he's come out with a new album, and and on the album there's a song where he repeats over and over and over, "I just want to die happy." And we live in a in a culture in a time where happiness has become the ultimate thing, where life is all about happiness and making me happy. That theme, I want to die happy. That's how you know you've lived a successful life, is if you die happy, if you are happy, if you have what you want and you feel happiness. And when we, when we feel that kind of loss of, of happiness, it becomes a deep loss because that is, in our culture, the ultimate goal, the ultimate end in life. And one of the things that I love about Jonah is that the book of Jonah exposes that idea that we know what true happiness will be for you and for me, that we each individually know what will make us happy. It exposes that lie for what it is, and it shows us that true happiness really is found in living within the will and purposes of God that we were designed to live in relationship with God. And when we choose to go our own way, when we choose the path of rebellion, we don't find long-lasting happiness. We may find experiences and moments of happiness, but we don't find a long, extended joy that's even better than happiness. Instead, we find often pain and hurt. And yes, there's good times interspersed within that. But unfulfilled lives where happiness always just seems a bit out of reach. And so with that line in mind that I want to die happy, I think we can turn to the countercultural narrative of, of Jonah. Because do you know what? Last week we, we looked at Jonah chapter 1 and, and how Jonah had gone his own way. Jonah, God had spoken to Jonah and said, hey, look, Jonah, here's what I want you to do. I've got something really important for you to do. And Jonah said, no thanks, I don't want to do it. That's not what I signed up for. I'm out. And Jonah sought to get away from God's presence. Now, Jonah knew better. He knew he couldn't get away from God's presence. But it seems like Jonah was like, you know what? God, I know you want me to do this, 
but that's not what I want to do. And we find that Jonah's will and God's will came into conflict because Jonah wanted a God who looked just like him, a God who was there to serve Jonah, to give Jonah what he wanted. And so Jonah was willing to serve God so long as God's will lined up with Jonah's will. But what we find is by the end of this chapter, there is a reversal that happens where Jonah submits himself to God's will. And he recognizes that his salvation, that his, his life will be found in God. And so Jonah has been running from God. Jonah, as we talked about last week, had been going down, down, down. He went down to Joppa. He went down into the boat. He went down into the hold of the boat. And there he was asleep. And a storm came and he was asleep then through this storm, which was really all because of the consequences of his sin. God sent a storm that was wreaking havoc on all around him. And that's what we find is that so often our sin has consequences and leaves a wake of destruction in its path. And you and I are often the last ones to even see it. We are blind to the destruction that our sin is wreaking, is reaping on others. Northrop Fry says this about sin. Sin is a matter of trying to block the activity of God, trying to get into the way of what God wants to do and say, yeah, you know what? No, I don't want those people to hear about God. That's what Jonah's saying. Like, look, I don't want the Ninevites to hear anything about you, right? To block the activity of God, and it always results in some curtailing or depriving someone of freedom, whether of oneself or of one's neighbor. Sin, the reality is the sin always enslaves. Sin always seeks to destroy. And our sin leaves us in, a, in destruction. And often we don't even notice what it's doing to other people, right? This is exactly what's happening in the story of Jonah in chapter 1. Jonah's choices are having a serious effect on the sailors. Jonah's rebellion against God has been costly. And it's going to get even more costly because finally Jonah's going to say, you know what, just just throw me overboard. That will get all of this taken care of, right? We read about that at the very end of of Jonah chapter 1. The sailors picked Jonah up and they threw him into the raging sea and the storm stopped at once. And there we find then the sailors worshiping. Meanwhile, Jonah is at his absolute lowest. Jonah's rebellion was costly. And and here's the, the first thing I want to say is this. Guys, we're like Jonah. Our sin and our rebellion is costly also. And we're often just like Jonah blind to the true cost of our sin. And so Jonah has been running away from God. But I want us to see something, that that when we run away from God, it's not just like a singular like running away from God. There's a flip side to this. And the flip side is this, that as we run away from God, we are running to something else. 
Running away from God means running to something else. And Jonah, he's forgotten God. We find that that's very clear. Jonah wants to forget all about God, and he has tried to forget about God. He has been running from God, forgetting or, or, or numbing himself, hardening himself through sin. And that's what sin does. Sin hardens us. And so Jonah has been hardened to, to God, and he's been forgetting God more and more. And as he runs away from God, he forgets more and more about who God is and God's character. We speculated last night, like, what would have happened if, if Jonah had just prayed? When the sailors asked him to pray, what if Jonah had prayed and said, God, I am sorry. I really screwed up. I'll do what you ask. What would have happened? You know, I, I think God would have relented. I mean, that's my personal opinion because Jonah doesn't do it, so we don't know. But Jonah has been slowly and steadily hardening himself to God's goodness, God's kindness, God's grace, God's mercy, more and more. And that's the truth for you and me too. That as we run to other things, guys, it leads to a, to a hardening. Like nobody just like one day is like a, a faithful follower of Jesus and then the next day just goes, you know what, I'm out, I'm not following God. It doesn't happen like that. It's a slow and steady process of moving in the opposite direction, of, of moving in a different direction, away from God. Till one day, all of a sudden, we wake up and we realize, how did I get here? I, I don't know. And these, these moments of forgetting are often built up over time until we completely forget and we walk away. And so it's important that we ask the question, what are you running to? What am I running to? Guys, we need to sit with that. Remember we talked about Jonah being a mirror. We need to hold that mirror up, look into the mirror and ask ourselves, what am I running to? What am I running from? What am I running to? Am I running to God? Or am I running to something else? Am I running to this worldly vision of, of the good life that could be summed up in, in a successful job, in a great social life, in a perfect partner, in the nicest and, and latest gadgets and toys. I mean, you can fill in the blanks for other things. I mean, we can name a lot of things. Is that what you're running to? Is that what you spend most of your time thinking about? Is that what you spend most of your time, you know, processing and, and, and trying to plan in your life? Or are you running to God and letting him lead and direct? Jonah was running from God. And as he did, it led him to ruin. They threw him over the side. And we read then that the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. So there we go. We get kind of the end of the story. Uh, but then what we're going to get in chapter 2 is the reflection on Jonah, Jonah's reflection on his time within the fish. All right, so, so Jonah's running 
led him to ruin. He says, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down into the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Then I said, Oh Lord, you have driven me from your presence. Yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. I sank beneath the waves, and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth, whose gates locked shut forever. Jonah reflects on where he was when he was thrown into the sea. Jonah was sinking down, 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 even lower than he had been when he told them to throw him over, because now, now he felt that God had truly abandoned him. Jonah has hit absolute bottom as he is sinking literally to the bottom of the ocean. I mean, Jonah actually says in verse 6, I sank down to the roots of the mountains. Like we're talking like Jonah can't get any lower. He is at the lowest in a literal standpoint that he could possibly be. And he recognizes that. He recognizes that his sin and his rebellion have left him for dead. And he recognizes that he's getting exactly what he deserves. He has this moment of clarity that says, I am getting what I deserve. I deserve to die. And God's actually just going to give me what I wanted. I wanted life apart from God and I'm going to get it. Because I'm going to die and I'm going to go to a place where, you know what? I'll never see him again. Can you imagine the depths of what Jonah is experiencing as he is sinking to the bottom? He feels totally and completely abandoned by God. He knows he's abandoned God. And he feels in that moment like God must have abandoned him too. Guys, I don't know where you're at right now, but maybe that's where you are. Maybe it's true for you. Maybe this pandemic has left you feeling lonely and abandoned. Maybe through family circumstances, through health circumstances, through life circumstances. Maybe through your own choices. Maybe through the choices of others. You know, we talked about like sin being leaving a wake of destruction in its path. So oftentimes we may be the perpetrators of sin and we may deserve exactly what we're getting. But you know what? There are times where we are caught up in the wake of other people's sin and we are at our lowest and our bottom and it is not our fault. And in those moments we feel abandoned by God. God, where are you? This isn't fair. I didn't do this. Or God, where are you? I did this to myself and I don't know where to go from here. God, I deserve everything that's coming to me. That's where Jonah's at. That's where Jonah's at. Jonah has been running to idols. The idol of himself. Jonah's been worshiping himself and and what he wants so much that he has forgotten God. And he reflects on this in verse 8. 
And he says, those who worship false gods turn their back on all God's mercies. I don't think Jonah is talking about other people. I think this is Jonah reflecting on his own experience. He recognizes that he has been chasing after other things, that he has not only been running from God, but running to something else. And he recognizes the hollowness in this moment of of deep pain and anguish. He recognizes the hollowness the worthlessness of the things that he had been running to. His idols, their hollow promises, have been exposed. They don't have any power to save. He's screwed. Guys, maybe you've been there. Maybe you're there. But you feel stuck, like caught up, like these things that I, I thought what I wanted, now that I've got them, uh, they're hollow. Maybe you feel that pressure of going, you know what? I thought I wanted a good image, but now, like, you know, I, I wanted to present a certain person, you know, out there on Instagram and, and Snapchat and Facebook and Twitter and whatever. But now that I've done that, I have to maintain that. People are ready to turn on me in a moment if I say the wrong thing and you feel like the hollowness of that. Maybe you're with the, you know, maybe you've got the job that you always wanted and now you realize, like, look, it, it doesn't have the power to provide what I need, what I need. Feel the hollowness of our idols. And so, one commentator translates verse 8 this way, those who cling to worthless idols will abandon their loyalty to them. Eventually, the idols will be found out. And when we are at bottom, that's what will happen. When the idols are found out, it will lead us to rock bottom and we realize that those idols have no power to save. And just like for Jonah, for you and me, this can end up being like the most painful thing that we ever experience. Like maybe you've had a partner who has betrayed you. And you realize in that, in that moment, like I was putting too much hope, too much, I, I was worshiping that person, essentially looking to them for everything. And that idol has, has left me betrayed. It's shown its, its hollowness. And in that moment, that can be one of the most painful things that ever, ever happens to you. But God can even use those experiences. God didn't cause them, but God is so sovereign and in control that he can use those experiences to teach you, to show you his goodness, to reveal to you the imperfectness of other people, but God's perfect and holy otherness. That God is the one that you can put all of your hope and trust in. He can carry the weight and burden of your life. And so Jonah, this moment, it's the most painful thing he's probably ever experienced up to this point. But in the long run, it should be at least the best thing that ever happened to him. And, it, and, it, and you know what? In those moments, it can be for us too. They can be turning points. Whether you've been the one who has been the perpetrator or whether you've been the victim, these moments in our lowest points 
can be a place where God meets us in an incredibly powerful way. And that's exactly what happens to Jonah as he chooses then to remember. He chooses to remember. He says, as my life was slipping away, as he is sinking down to the bottom of the ocean, he remembered the Lord. It's verse 7. He remembered the Lord. What are we going to do when we, like Jonah, find ourselves at the bottom? The best thing I know to tell you, the first thing you should do, remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. Jonah finally, truly, really cries out to God. I cried out to the Lord. Verse 1 cried out to the Lord, sorry, verse 2, in my great trouble, and he answered me. Jonah cries out to God. When Jonah is at his absolute bottom, when he has nowhere else to turn, nowhere else to go, he sees how he's brought himself to this point, but also how God has sovereignly acted through all of this. Like Jonah says in, in verse 3, you threw me into the ocean depths. Did, did God throw Jonah into the ocean depths? Like if we go back to verse 15 of chapter 1, we, we see that, that the sailors threw Jonah into the sea because Jonah told them to. And, and why? Because of Jonah's rebellion. And what we begin to see then is, is Jonah says, you threw me into the sea. But, but what we have here is a picture of God being so unbelievably sovereign that he can work through Jonah's choices, the choices of the sailors to accomplish his goodwill. What we find is, is the interplay between human choices and God's sovereignty. Jonah comes to terms here with the complete sovereignty of God, knowing that as far as Jonah kept running from God, God had continued to pursue Jonah, and God was working actively and sovereignly, even through the choices that Jonah makes, because God loved Jonah. God wanted relationship with Jonah. And so God allowed Jonah to come to his lowest, to his bottom, because God knew that at that bottom, Jonah would return. And so Jonah has this, this moment of, of clarity. And I wonder, when you and I have these moments, and we do sometimes have these moments of, of clarity, what, what do we do with them? What do we do with them when we're at, when we're at these moments where we recognize God has been at work in our lives, where we recognize we've been doing our best to, to make a ruin of our lives, but God has still been present working in and through it. What, what do we do with these moments? God, God has been working through Jonah's rebellion. God let Jonah have what Jonah thought he wanted. Jonah thought he wanted life apart from God, and God let him have it. God let him have a taste of it. And that taste was all Jonah needed to realize. He didn't want life without God. And you and I, sometimes God lets us have these moments of, of rebellion. In fact, God says that, that eventually, you know, if what you really want is a life without Him, 
God will let you have it. God will let you have it. If that's what we want, ultimately that's what God will give us. But, but like Jonah, we need to remember that this life apart from God is a life of, of rebellion against God in opposition to God. And, and Paul, so, uh, the Apostle Paul talks about this in Romans, that, that you know the worst thing that God can do for you is let you have what you want, give you up to your desires, because those desires lead to destruction. They lead to the place that Jonah finds himself in in. And so the alternative to God saying, uh, sorry, the alternative to saying to God, thy will be done, is to hear him say eventually, okay, your will be done. That's what one commentator says. I think that's well put. But thankfully for Jonah and, and, and thankfully for, for you and me, God is giving him a second chance. God is giving him a third, fourth, fifth, like millionth chance to turn. Like here he is at his lowest, the absolute bottom. And, and yet at this point then, Jonah hits that rock bottom and he returns. He remembers God. And when he calls out to God, here's the beautiful thing, guys. We see God had already prepared the fish. God knew Jonah was going to call out to him. God was ready, waiting to scoop Jonah up. And we see in this fish God's incredible and unbelievable mercy. That's what we're supposed to see in the fish, right? The fish has not been the thing. It's not the biggest thing in the story. It only takes up two verses, and it is there to display God's great grace and mercy and sovereignty. And, and you know, for some of us, like, we can get hung up on, on the fish and wondering, like, well, did it really happen? Did it not? You know, here's the thing. Like, can a guy really be swallowed up by a fish? Like, it doesn't matter. It's a miracle. And if you're a Christian, let me just talk to you for for a moment here. Like, you believe in the resurrection, right? I believe that Jesus died, he was murdered, and he rose again. And in in that rising again, he conquered sin and death, and that he sits on a throne, on the throne. I believe that. And so if I can believe that, I mean, I can believe that God could send, would be powerful enough to send a fish to swallow a guy and that God would be able to keep that guy alive in a fish for, for three days. Like, it's not that hard. It's not that far of a stretch, you know? I don't think somebody's been swallowed by a fish before Jonah and survived. I don't think somebody's probably been swallowed by a fish after Jonah and survived. I don't need to go looking for, like, you know, all these, like, proofs that somebody could live inside of a fish for whoever or however long. Like, I don't need to do that. This is a miracle. God does a miracle for Jonah in his life to bring him back. And so, when Jonah finds himself in the belly of the fish, you know, like we might think like Jonah, okay, we expect Jonah, once he gets swallowed by a fish, what's he going to do? He's going to complain or he's going to lament and be sad and like upset he's in the belly of a fish. No, Jonah sees the fish for what it is. And, you know, perspective sometimes is everything, isn't it? Jonah sees the fish as God's instrument of rescuing him out of death, sparing him eternal separation from God, sparing him death itself. And that, that fish becomes a vehicle for Jonah of life. And Jonah recognizes that. And so instead of lamenting, Jonah praises. And so it's in this uncomfortable place that Jonah is in that he begins his ascent back 
to God's presence. We've talked again that theme of chapter 1 of going down, 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 that finds itself spilling into chapter 2 of Jonah going down to the depths of the mountains. Like, and that, that, you know, the Jerusalem where the temple was, was built on a mountain. And so people would ascend to the, mount, uh, the mountain, uh, to ascend to Jerusalem, to worship God at the temple. And, and so this picture of ascending is, is one of worship. But for Jonah, his going down is one of rebellion and, and leaving and, and fleeing from God. And this now, this moment now is where Jonah begins to ascend. We read uh, Jonah saying, that, uh, Yet I will look once more towards your holy temple. Jonah realizes now God has rescued him. It is not, all is not lost. His relationship with God is being restored. And so he praises knowing that his relationship with God is, is beginning afresh again. He can, he can talk to God. He can hear from God. He can be in God's presence. So he's pumped. In the belly of a fish, Jonah praises we see Jonah doing uh, just a couple of things. Jonah remembers. Jonah remembers God, his mercy, his grace, his kindness, his faithfulness. And it leads Jonah to praise God for who he is. Not only does Jonah praise God, then he reflects. He puts up the mirror and he, re- he, he sees who he has been, what he was deserving of. And, and, and he sees then the goodness of God. And, and, and so it leads him, once he reflects, then, to commit, right? Jonah says, the, um, but I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows. Jonah is turning. He is committing. He's saying, God, I am in. I know I've run from you, but I am in. I am going to follow you. Jonah commits, and then he praises again, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Jonah's a changed man. At least for now, the story takes a crazy turn, but like, let's just pause. For now, Jonah is a changed man. And here's what I think then that we can learn from this story. If Jonah is a mirror, you know, when we've talked about that, that the book of Jonah teaches us about who God is, God's sovereignty, his mercy, but it also exposes in us our tendency to be like Jonah. And so Jonah serves with a, as a mirror. We don't like Jonah, yet we find so often we are him. And so if Jonah serves as a mirror, then chapter two, ser- sorry, chapter two serves to show us our inadequacy to rescue ourselves and our need for God's grace. Jonah chapter 2 shows us our tendency to forget and to run from God. And finally, it shows how even our deepest, most dire circumstances can often be exactly what God uses to wake us up to remember who our rescuer is. That it's God. And so here's what we can do, guys. Here's a very practical thing that we can do. Whether right now in your relationship with God, you are far from him or whether you are really near, whether this is the closest you've ever been to God, these five things that Jonah does are things that you and I should do as well. 
we, we, we need to remember, all right? And, and like I said, this is the place to start, guys. And it's not just the place to start, it's the place to over and over come to. Remember the gospel. We will never, ever outgrow the gospel. You will never get too mature for the gospel. You need the gospel. I need the gospel. And I need to hear it constantly because I am forgetful like Jonah. So we must remember, we speak the gospel into our life, that Jesus is the Messiah that, has been, that was predicted in the Old Testament, that people were looking forward to. He was the rescuer that would come and restore the kingdom of God. And that Jesus lived then showing people what God was like. He lived out the perfect life that you and I couldn't live. We couldn't do it. He, he, Israel was supposed to be a light to the nations to show the world what God was like. They couldn't do it, but Jesus did. Adam and Eve lived in perfect relationship with God, but they screwed it up. But Jesus didn't. He lived in perfect relationship with the Father. All the things that we as human beings never could do, Jesus came and did. He came down, down, down from his throne in heaven and became a human being and lived for us the life that we could not live and we murdered him in our rebellion and our sin. But Jesus wanted to forgive us. God wanted to forgive us so badly he was willing to go to the cross. And at the cross he cried out, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus rose. He conquered sin and death for you and me and has ascended to the throne and then sent his spirit to live and dwell inside of us to empower us to be like him. We need to remember that. It changes the way that we see ourselves. It changes the way that we see others. It changes the way we, we, we live and it changes the way that we, we treat other people, right? A humility there's a gospel humility there when we preach the gospel to ourselves and we praise them. We have to praise. We become that which we love. The things that we praise, the things that, you know, we praise the praiseworthy and the things that we praise and we worship are the things that we will become like. And so we worship God. We praise him for who he is, for what he is, has done. And we reflect, we pick up that mirror and we sit with it. And I don't just mean like glance at it. I mean sit with it. And we're going to be tempted as we sit with that mirror and it begins to expose things in our lives, to turn on the television, to, to watch a YouTube video, to pull out my phone, to do any number of other things that may be a distraction. But we need to reflect, like Jonah, on who we are and what we were deserving of so that then we come back to remembering what God has done for us. And then we commit, like Jonah. Repentance, guys, means changing direction. It means going another way, from forgetting to remembering, right? From descending to ascending. And repentance involves commitment. We're saved by grace through faith, but we are saved into a life of living out good works, of becoming like Jesus. And that's not going to happen by sitting on our hands. But the Spirit empowers us and partners with us to make us more like Jesus. We can't do it on our own, but the Spirit comes and empowers us to become more like Jesus. And so we commit to living for Jesus and becoming like Jesus. And then we praise again. We constantly reorient and redirect our love 
and we praise. And so, guys, we remember, we praise, we reflect, we commit, and we praise again. We come back to that good news that Jonah learned. This is the lesson. Paul talks about this in Romans. This is the lesson that we learn in chapter 2. The wages of sin is death. Jonah found that out, and he accepted that. He said, you know what? This is what I deserve. This is what I deserve. The wages of sin, of rebellion against God, is death. But, Paul says, the free gift of God is eternal life. Jonah got a new chance, a new start, and that's what you and I get when we come to Jesus. We get a new life. And it's a free gift. The free gift of God is life with Him forever. Because that's good news. We were deserving of death, yet Jesus came and rescued us. Brought us back into relationship with him, and that is good news. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you. God, thank you for the good news of the gospel.